what really gets my dick hard is Welcome to Middle of Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. And this is Revisited number three. This is our third installment of Revisited. If you haven't listened before, this is where we just do a quick little 15 to 20 minute recap of something that has happened in Metallica history. Yeah, and we're doing this Revisited because today marks the May 1st, 1988 was the final day of recording for dot, 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 and Justice for All. Correct. And a lot of you have asked for an Injustice for All episode, which it will be coming one of these days. Uh, that's a special one to us, so we're kind of saving it. But we thought this is a nice little, uh, little, as Clint would say, an appetizer to uh, what's to come. How pissed would our fans be if this was actually just the only, we only devoted 15 minutes of a revisited <laughs> to Injustice for All? Totally. We're going to do a six-part six series on Load and Reload, but we're only going to do 15 minutes on Justice. Exactly. <laughs> And speaking of Load and Reload, May 1st also marks the date that they started tracking Load and Reload. So this is a pretty cool uh, moment in Metallica history on Two May 1st. Two worlds colliding. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this is pretty, if you're a Metallica fan and you're kind of in that nerdy realm of, of dates and stuff like that, it's a cool it's a cool date in Metallica history. I mean, they finished one of their most amazing records of all time, and they began work on what would become... Two very controversial records stylistically, uh, but nonetheless, it's an important day in Metallica history. Yeah, for, depending on your perspective on this stuff, this might signal the last day that they actually made thrash metal. That's true. Yeah, Un- that's very until, true. Until 2008. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but uh, yeah, let's. I, th- I say just we'll jump into a couple things here with Justice and then move on to Load and Reload because that's definitely your realm because those are the records that, uh, as you say, you came online with. So Hell yeah. But yeah, Justice for All. I mean, they started tracking uh, January 28th, and as most of you know, prior to that, they st- on January 1st, they actually started originally with Mike Klink, who did Guns N' Roses stuff, and they got him because of uh, Appetite for Destruction. But yeah, after about three weeks, they were completely unha- unhappy with him and what he was doing, so who do they call? Flaming Rasmussen. They're good buddy Flaming. <laughs> good buddy Flaming, but... Uh, yeah, and even prior to them uh, starting to work again with, with Fleming... Um, in, in between Mike Clint getting fired and him coming in is when they recorded what would become B-sides, I think not until the Black Album era of Bread Fan and The Prince, the oh, two cool. covers. Very cool. So they they just kind of did that on their own with the engineer, I guess. So that that's mu- really cool. That must have felt pretty good for Fleming to like, because I think what happened was they wanted to get him to do justice originally, but he had time constraints because he probably yep. got super busy after the success of Puppets. And so they were like, well, we're going to make sure it without did, yeah. you. And then you imagine three weeks later, he gets the call. We're like, we got to have you. That must have felt pretty good for him. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would call it like a, a desperate attempt on Metallica's part. I yeah. think they were just kind of going with what they knew. And they're like, well, you know what? We had this formula. It worked great. Let's go back to that. And let's call Fleming. And, you know, this is the first time that they recorded it one on one. This is the little nugget for, you know, why they brought Bob down from Vancouver to record there. I guess they must have really liked that spot. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
yeah, I mean, all the footage you see from a year and a half, I mean, it's, it's a rad looking place and, uh, and yeah, I can see why they would have gone back for the black album. I mean, they got, you know, they probably were happy with the sounds, which you obviously you may not notice on the final mix of, of justice, but it is, it is crazy that the, the, the sound of those two records is so drastically different and it was recorded at the exact same place. Yeah, I guess it's just different. So I'm reading here in your notes. You said the Stephen Thompson guy is the one who took the majority of the criticism for the mixes having no bass. Yeah, he did, and he actually uh, he was actually quoted as saying that he, I mean, he tried to get out of it, get out of mixing. Like he didn't want to do it, but I think maybe uh, maybe he signed a contract or something. But he had to do it, and so he went with what he says was Lars's direction in having everything sound super dry, the drums especially, and having that bass so far down in the mix where it's pretty much inaudible. Yeah, I mean, at that, I mean, even with Fleming, uh, Flaming, even if you look in the liner notes, it says produced by Fleming Rasmussen and Metallica. Like, right, at yeah. that point, I think really until Bob Rock, I think Bob Rock was really the first producer to work with them in terms of the producer kind of running the show more than the band. Yeah, definitely. And you've made records. I've made records. Bands, bands kind of need that. You like, and I think the the mix flaws in Justice are a really good example of why a band needs a producer in the room who's not afraid to tell them no. Yep. And Bob Rock definitely did that. I mean, maybe at this point Fleming, you know, maybe he was kind of just clocking in, you know, and, and could see that they were like really wanting to be in control of their baby, you know. Well, and if, um, yeah, and if, and if I had Ride the Lightning and Justice are, or and uh, Puppets already under my belt and those two albums were so good and so important for the genre, I can also see him being like, well, like if it isn't broken, don't fix it, you know? Right, totally. But as we but all now is, know, when we look back, there is something majorly broken about that record. Yeah, exactly. There's no goddamn bass guitar in it. There's no bass guitar. And, and we, it's a we rock talked band. about it on... Right, and we talked about it on the on the Fleming episode how he's he's gone on record as saying like I would love to remix that record. I think they're going to do something special when they finally get around to you know they're doing all these like box sets and shit. I, I think they are going to yeah. hopefully do something special with that. I, man, I really I really hope they do. I mean, next year would be thirty years. So it is maybe, it is maybe, a, it is a strange little pockmark on an otherwise sort of you know it's our second favorite Metallica record collectively and yeah. Just the songs are so tight and good, and it, it's some of the pinnacle of their sort of complex songwriting stuff. Uh, yeah, and I mean, the musicianship on that record, I mean, knock Lars all you want for later, you know, drumming skills, but I mean, God, I mean, I know you have a million chances to do it in the studio, and you can cut and splice tape back then to get the perfect sounding drum track with all your best takes, but I mean... God, I mean, I love his drumming on this record, and Kirk was at his peak, one of his peaks, I oh think. Oh my God, you know I, mean? I agree. And you know what, dude? My days of knocking Lars, in terms at least of drumming, they're over, man. They're behind me. I don't think I'll ever yeah. cross that fence again, because I just have a newfound appreciation yeah, I agree. for what, what he brings to the table. I do too. I mean, there's little, I mean, little details, I think, like as somebody who plays drums, where I'm like, oh man, why would you do that? But it's nothing that makes yeah, me yeah, sure. go like, oh, fuck that guy, man, he sucks, you know? Yeah, it's it's taken on the it's taken on the odor of when people say that Ringo wasn't a good drummer. Like for me, if you if you're gonna slag Ringo, do the old Ringo slag bit. It's right. almost like a conversation ender because you're so misinformed and you've just towed this fucking line that you've been fed. You obviously yep. haven't investigated the music or listened to it. It's all, so you know what I mean. It's like almost like how how can I have a reasonable conversation with someone that thinks Ringo Starr wasn't a good drummer? Right. Yeah. And I think that <clears> applies. Busy, like, I think that applies to Lars. 
Yeah, totally. And we've talked about it in the past where like, would you, I mean, yes, Dave Lombardo from Slayer is a great drummer and technically probably more skilled than Lars, but it wouldn't sound like Metallica. Yeah. And that's what we love. And, we love the sound of those dudes. Yep. And it would, you know, and Justice for All would not sound like Injustice for All. And so speaking of like, you know, how, how hard they worked, how many takes they did, how complex it was. So they... Each song used three reels of tape, one for drums, one for bass and guitars, and a third for, like, I guess, vocals and overdubs or whatever. Right, uh, yeah. That's a lot of tape. I mean, one for drums. I mean, I, I mean, the, I, I, I read it in the past. I can't remember what it was. It was something like they used all 24 tracks just for drums. Um, <laughs> unbelievable. It's insane, yeah. And they recorded everything completely separately on this record, you know, um, <clears throat> But yeah, an entire reel for for those of you who don't know like what a reel is. This is before digital recording, before Pro Tools, GarageBand, all that stuff. You're recording on two inch tape on these big machines, and you know you've got a limited amount of tracks. And uh, so for drums to take up one entire reel is uh, is pretty crazy. Uh, and I think they recorded on the tape until Saint Anger. I mean, Saint Anger is where we really kind of first see them using computers and Pro Tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they still were, were were printing to tape, but they were doing most of their initial recording into Pro Tools. Yeah, yeah. There there may have been some... I mean, because like around mid to late 90s, I think, was when people really started embracing digital recording. Yeah. So maybe there is some stuff that they did on Load and Reload that was more in the digital realm, you know, compared to previous records. But I mean, yeah, I mean... And, and this the technicalities of this record, musically speaking... To do that on tape too, like you have to understand, like when you're overdubbing something or punching a part, meaning like you played this drum track this way, and there was one little part right there at you know minute seven, especially with this record, and you're like, man, I really want that to be a little different. Like you can go in and punch stuff in, but on tape, you got to get the punch just right, or you got to have another take and have a guy put it over the top of the machine and cut it with a razor blade and tape it back together. You can. yeah, it's pretty involved. And you can see, actually, you can see the sort of the how rigorous it is on A Year and a Half in the Life, which that's going to be our next yeah. episode, by the way. But, um, you know, they they devoted like six months just to editing the drums. And you can see this little B room that Lars is in with an engineer. And you can actually see yeah. them splicing tape. And at one point, they're like, they'd cut a bunch of his fills up. And they were like, well, we got yeah. a bunch of fills for sale. Like, Yeah, so there was like tw- 20 extra ones <laughs> for sale. <laughs> uh, uh, we could probably talk a long time about the merits or the lack of merits versus digital and analog recording. That might be an interesting episode in the future. Yeah, it could be for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the, the, the plus and, and, and minuses of, of that in relation to Metallica. I mean, obviously one of the minuses being St. Anger and him just like grabbing parts from here and here and just kind of piecing it together as they go along, how easy that is. Yeah. It but seems, it seems it, like a, a lot of what made St. Anger feel real longy was the sort of copy and paste vibe that it sounds like they did. <laughs> Longy. <laughs> longy. It's kind of longy. It's real uh, longy. First underground metal album to achieve chart success in the U.S. That's That doesn't seem right. That's crazy. It, 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 I mean, hey, man, I'm just I'm just reading, reading the facts that I've <laughs> researched. You're just reading the facts that James Hetfield gave you right before we started recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, this comes he's straight from Houston, James. Houston with me. Yeah. <laughs> you got a day off in Houston? Is that what you're up to? Yeah, I'm in Houston. I'm technically in an area called the Woodlands, Texas. It kind of oh, reminds yeah, I know the, me of I know like the Woodlands. Kind of where I used to. Yeah, it's it's very new looking, shopping centery. It's very like uh, Orange County, California. Like I don't know, it's not really my vibe. There's no character to this place. It's all brand new buildings and chain restaurants. People ask me a lot because I just like you, I tra- I'm traveling all the goddamn time, and there are people who 
maybe aren't able to do that as much. And they say, what's it like? You know, what's it like seeing America? And I'm like, you want to know what it's like? Yeah. It's one long strip mall. Yeah, yeah, it can be for sure. Punctuated by Starbucks every mile or so. There's a Starbucks at the bottom of my hotel right now. <laughs> point, point proven. Yeah, uh, and yesterday, yesterday I was in a parking lot uh, most of the day. I watched a hockey game on the bus, and then there's like a Home Depot, a Walmart, a Cracker Barrel, and like a famous Dave's Barbecue or something. Jesus, you know it's weird how much. But, you know, I, mean, I, start, I started, I started touring. Um, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. And it's just weird how much has changed since then. Oh, yeah. Totally. I, I used to roll up into any town and be like, there's definitely some bookstores and some record stores here, little gyms here. Now that yeah. stuff's getting really hard, to, especially bookstores. Bookstores have, have, unlike vinyl, which kind of has had a resurgence and kept a lot of those places yeah. alive, books of the ebook vibe has just murdered, and Amazon, like oh, yeah. Amazon has just murdered the used book uh, community. Oh, yeah. It sucks. But I was able to get the uh, the Master of Puppets book from Amazon. Thanks That's to my thing. wife. That's the thing. Is it's hard to complain because <laughs> I did the same deal. I ordered it off Amazon and had it two days later. I mean, shit. I know. I know. Um, um, more facts. Well, before we get before we get too too off track with uh, our touring lives and what's around us right now. Um, yeah, there's just a couple more things to talk about as far as the release uh, finishing up to the release of Injustice for All. Um, What's crazy is this is still before they released a video. They finally released a video for one on this record as their first music video ever. But this thing came out and within nine weeks of, it, of its release was platinum. Sold a million records. Wow. And they were just off. That, they they like, were just off. Yeah, they were off to the races, dude. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, since since as you know, up till now, it's scanned like eight million copies. Wow. Which is insane. Um <clears throat> But let's also talk, and this is kind of, like, again, more up your alley. Let's also move on to Load and Reload on this day. They started tracking th- those records, which was one session. Happy to do it. I mean, yeah, it's it's really fascinating to think about what took them from the uh, Black Album tour to the place where James and Lars, I think they wrote a lot of the songs that ended up on Load and Reload at James's house. Just yeah. James and Lars and... It's a really big jump, and I, I, man, I know I get it, the controversy, but they, they also cut their hair and changed their look and all that shit. Yeah. But just as artists, like, here's what a lot of people do. A lot of people have a, a record as big as the Black Album, and then they just think, let's just do that again, because it worked so well. Right. Or even if they don't feel that way, a, a band that big has such sort of um, business machinery around it where you're getting a lot of pressure, external pressure to recreate this big monster that paid a lot of people's salaries. And to me, it's like, like the records or not, it's really cool to me that they were like, all right, we did that. Let's continue moving towards this, like, quote unquote, more mainstream, more groove rock, blues rock vibe. Let's Let's explore lyrics more. Let's explore a directness in our sound more. And then what Load and Reload does have that the Black Album doesn't have is a lot of experimental sounds and and like oh yeah, very much chord. so. There was a hint of that on the Black Album with like right. you know let's throw some sitar in there and stuff like that, but not even close to what Load and Reload. Yeah, had. I mean, it, to, it, and I think this applies to Saint Anger too. Unfortunately, I'm trying to be consistent here, but those James has described himself and the band Metallica as explorers, and so yeah. But the problem with St. Anger was it was sort of shrouded by his sobriety and like a lot of other shit, I think, you know, negatively infected the process. But 
like like terrible songs <laughs> just just getting <laughs> just losing his ego like a lot of aa is about having your ego sort of destroyed so you can build yourself oh, yeah. back up without the addiction right so that comes through in the songs man and but i like that about this band i know man well and i do i also do like that they do whatever they want they're not i don't think that when they did the black album or load and reload they were like sitting around going, all right, we're going to sell out. I it agree. Was what James, it was what James was probably into at the time. He was I, probably listening to a lot, a lot more like Southern rock, Skinner kind of stuff and writing groove stuff, groove riffs and stuff like that. And then, and it, I can only imagine he wanted to challenge himself. The yeah. whole band probably did. Let's I try think, something new and like see how it goes. I, I totally agree. And there, there's a really interesting interview with James. I'm not going to be able to tell you what it's from because I go down these rabbit holes often these days, but it's around Load Reload era, and, and he's sort of addressing the backlash from fans about the whatever, the the image and the sound or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, what people don't realize is that, you know, they're able to look at it from outside and say, oh, they're trying this, they're trying to be Alice in Chains, or they're trying to be mainstream or whatever. He's like, for us, we're just like living our lives and writing the next batch yeah. of songs that occur to us as artists, and we're exploring yep. the next sonic landscape. It, it's just easy for us to kind of sit from our perspectives and and sort of judge it or explain it away. And again, I think this also kind of applies to my beef with St. Anger. I think there's some real legitimate uh, overlap with how people feel about Load and Reload with how you and I might feel about St. Anger. Right, right, right. Well, I think now, there's a few objective things about the record that everyone can agree on. <laughs> this is me just, I'm in a real generous mood today. <laughs> you are. You look very generous with your hat on and stuff. Oh, thanks, man. I'm, I'm actually in Nashville for a, a nice five days off the road. Nice, Busy as shit in town, but I know, I mean, I wish you were here to have this beer with me. I'm sitting here in my studio having a beer. I'm loving it. I'm sitting here in my hotel room having a bottle of water because there's no mini bar and no liquor store anywhere close to here. Man, so, you, which you is fine. Not, it's probably good prepared. for me. Yeah. I'm not prepared, but I'm sure, I'm sure uh, my liver down there is going, thank you. Are you about to disappear for like 18 months like James did? And <laughs> I disappear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Uh, I'm not at that point yet. No. Okay, I'm good. really thank, working thank, working hard to get to get there though. Thank you. <laughs> really <laughs> trying hard. Take it one day, one bottle of Jack at a time. Yep, exactly. Uh, <laughs> all right, I think we did it. Man, we, we don't want to we don't want to talk too much about these all these records because we have a few yeah, yeah. exciting episodes planned for them. But we just w- want to dip in, honor this day, uh, the last day of recording of Justice and the first day of recording for Load. Yeah, I mean it's a, yeah again like I said before it's a, a pretty awesome day in in the world of Metallica May first. But, I'm uh, stoked. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna I light a I'm gonna too. light a little I'm gonna light a little birthday candle and blow it out by myself. Me too. Yeah. What do you What do you think about that? <laughs> I think that sounds sad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It, just, it, it it makes my heart hurt a little bit that you're gonna do that by yourself. Well, maybe we can do it on Skype after we finish recording this. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Well, All right, yeah. I, I, that, that's it for that one. But uh, like Clint mentioned before, uh, this Monday is our a year and a half in the life of Metallica episode, which is gonna part, be part super one. fun. Part one, yeah. Let's yeah. Make sure we nail that one in because it's a long, uh, long two-part series. So just part one. Here's the deal, everyone. Thanks for listening, and uh, you can find us on all the social stuff: Instagram, Twitter. Email us at metalupyourpodcastshow.com. We have a Patreon, which is Patreon.com/slash/metalupyourpodcast. If you want to support the show financially, and lastly, if you could go leave us an iTunes review, it only takes a second, and it really helps us out a lot. And we're gonna give you some shit if you leave us a positive review. That's right. We're getting they, some free, you're getting some free stuff. How do they do that? Can you tell the good folks at home? 
I can. If you go to iTunes and leave us a positive review, all you have to do is email us, show at gmail.com. And in the subject, uh, what do we st- what do we uh, call it before? Pick contest. Pick contest. Uh, when we run out of picks, we're going to have patches as well. But for now, just put in the subject, pick contest. Give us your iTunes username and your address, and we will send you a set of Metal Up Your Podcast picks, which includes also a gorgeous pick of me and a beautiful pick of Clint. And who knows? We might just show up at your doorstep one day, just me and Ethan. We might live with you for a little while. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, there might be someone here in the Woodlands, Texas, that uh, submits their address, and I can just walk on over and say hi. Mosey on over. Mosey on over. Hey, I live here now. What's in the fridge? Yeah. You know what's probably you guys uh, <laughs> mosey around here. <laughs> you know what's probably in the fridge? Pizza. Pizza. You read my mind. (laughs) All right, guys. That's it for Revisited number three. And uh, look forward to episode number 21 on Monday. All right. Peace. If you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that.